Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. Today, Dr. Blake Williamson hosts the panel of fellow ophthalmologists for a wide-ranging discussion of life inside and outside of the clinic and how to balance it all. Coming up on Off the Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. I think maybe to get started, this would be a fun question for us to kind of break the ice. And Gary, I'm going to throw this to you first. If you had not gone into medicine and if money would not be an issue, and if you knew that nobody would laugh at you, uh, what would you be doing right now? I think it could go two ways, Blake. This is a really great question. Um, I think that I, so there was actually a, a crux in my life where I was either going to pursue medicine and, and, and become a pre-med chemistry major or I was going to transfer to Belmont in Nashville and pursue music production. And I was actually, I had applied and got accepted to Belmont in their music business program. And I was actually going, I had pretty much decided that I was going to become a music producer. And then at the last minute, something just told me like, no, you always wanted to be a doctor. You might as well like run that down. If it doesn't work out, if you don't get into med school, um, you can always do music production later in life. But you don't want to have that regret if you if you thought always that you wanted to do that. So for me, I it, it was probably music production. But knowing myself and 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 if I could answer that question now, like knowing what I know now about myself, I think I would have been an engineer, either like a software engineer or a bio, biomedical engineer. That that really seems to suit me. That's funny. I, I'm I'm the same way. Uh, yeah, I would. That's that would be my thing. If my pie in the sky dream thing would be like you know, have a record label and go find artists. My more realistic thing is if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I think I'd go into marketing. I'd like to do something like that. Allison, what about you? And then, and then Shani after, what would you guys do if you weren't doing what you do now? I think right now my answer would be, I would probably live in the mountains. I would live in like Montana or Wyoming or just somewhere really remote and in the mountains. I love it out there. 10, 15 years ago when I was making that decision, I probably would have like moved to LA and tried to be an actress, but I think those days are gone. So <laughs> the answer has definitely changed for me too. <laughs> what about you, Shani? So um, I thought long and hard about this. And you know, I think uh, I would open up a bake shop. I love baking. So I know that's like very removed from medicine, but um, I don't know, kind of parts of it, if you kind of think about baking or kind of scientific, I think it helped me do well in, in Orgo Lab because I I'm, like to follow a recipe. Um, I guess kind of as surgeons, we like to follow a recipe too. So I'd probably open up a bake shop. That sounds delicious. And what about you, David? So I think I'd be on ski patrol, <laughs> either that or a lifty, one of those two. Both are pretty low key. Yeah, just be a ski bum out west. That's not I always like when, when we go out there for ACOS and 
I see those those uh, young dudes and gals working the ski lift. I'm like, man, that looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> Hard to support a family on that, though, isn't it? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to open this up to the group um, <clears throat> about sort of what your definition of work life balance is, and 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 you know whether you think it's achievable. We're going to go into a few scenarios here in just a bit, but just on a general discussion. You know, when I was kind of reading about this a little bit today in preparation um, for talking with you guys, you know, it sounds like the whole idea of this really started in the 70s. It used to be about work and home balance or work family balance. And that was because, uh, thankfully, more and more women were coming into the work, work workplace in a meaningful way in the 60s and 70s. And uh, these days, it's more about work life balance because gender roles are different, societal changes have happened, and people have all these different things that they're juggling in their life. But you can't really nail down, um, you know, one psychological, you know, that's agreed upon definition of work-life balance. Everybody has different things. And they talk about, you know, many of the ones that are, many definitions that are out there are talking about sort of either an equal mix of work and life, or perhaps, you know, a work and life uh, life that, that don't really connect with each other or don't really clash with each other. I'm just wondering, or, or work in a life, you know, domain that don't really sacrifice from each other, if that makes sense. That's what, how people kind of describe it. And it's funny because I just don't, the way I look at it, it just doesn't seem achievable sometimes. Like for, like, cause I feel like I'm, my work life is always sacrificing a little bit from my, my other life and, and vice versa. And I feel like it's a give and take. So I just wanted to open it up uh, to you guys to see kind of how you are defining work-life balance and, you know, whether you think it's achievable and how you're doing it. I think that's a, a great uh, start to our conversation because um, I think we all have slightly different perspectives on it and it's right, it's different for each of us. We each have kind of different goals and priorities in life. Um, I kind of like to think of it as like a web between uh, work and life and they're kind of interconnected. And um, before I used to really be focused on trying to balance each equally, but you're right, it's, it's hard, it's a give and take. And so I would say for me, sometimes, you know, I'm busier at work and sometimes I'm busier at home and it's just kind of a interconnected kind of fluid uh, uh, parts of my life. I agree. And I, by no means do I have it all figured out. I think it's a little bit of a white rabbit that you're always chasing, but it kind of reminds me of um, the night of my wedding rehearsal dinner. My uncle told me the advice that had lasted him for a nice long marriage was that don't think of it as something that's 50, 50. So sometimes it's going to be 60, 40, 80, 20. And that's kind of how work and family and, or just work and the rest of your life end up being sometimes it's heavy on work and you're sacrificing more time at home. And other times, um, you know, you might be more engaged with some of your personal life stuff and have to step back a little bit at work. So it may not always be 50, 50. And I think the same, I mean, Gary, I mean, it's the, the other thing that, that I do a lot is I, 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 you know, intentionally make the two clash or go together. For instance, I love to bring my wife to meetings and she has friends there that I don't even know. Um, th this weekend I'm giving a lecture in, in New Mexico uh, and I'm bringing her entire, her, her mom and dad and all of our kids with me. Of course I'm paying for them, but from what I'm making for giving that talk, you know, basically I'm, I'm, I'm not making any money on a, on a net, you know, perspective, but you know, basically I'm having a free trip with my family to Santa Fe and to Taos this weekend. So I'm totally kind of combining the two. What do you think about that, Gary? 
I think that that is something to aspire to, honestly. And I think it really depends on when you come into ophthalmology and where your family at is when you arrive. So for example, you know, I became an ophthalmologist in 2008 and, you know, I had kids who were already like in school. I've been married for, you know, uh, eight years, nine years. And, you know, we were, when you talk about work-life balance, like there was no work-life balance. It was like, I was working hundred percent of the time and my lovely wife was working hundred percent of the time at home. And the only balance we had was that she had that part covered and I had the work part covered. So it was like, if I was going to a conference, like she couldn't really come with, with me because the kids were in school or so the way we evolved as a couple was more along the lines of, okay, when I've got to go do something like, thank God you're here to take care of, you know, what's going on at home. And when I come back, I will come back into that orbit. So interestingly at 43, I just dropped my youngest son, my youngest child off to college last week. And now we are now the only two in our orbit. And, and my plan going forward is that she is with me at all of these things because she's been my ride or die from day one. And I'm really excited to introduce her to all my friends, all the people that I've gotten to know over this time a little bit individually. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it, I think it's different for every couple. Um, and it is, it's sort of hard also, I'll just bring this up. Sometimes it's hard to have your family at a meeting because of all the things you're trying to accomplish at the meeting, you kind of do feel torn between having family time versus having time with industry and, and your connections and your, and your ophthalmology family, which is so important. It's a lot cheaper than a therapist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's true. And I like your comment about it depends on where you are. Priorities change. It depends on where you are in life. You know, my scenario, right. I own a, a busy practice in a, a surgery center. I have 190 employees. I can't just go home and leave work at home. Some people who maybe don't own their practice or, you know, they, they can leave work at home. So the, there's different things that they can achieve and everybody needs to carve it out. David, what do you think? Is this achievable? And how do you describe this? And then we'll move on into our scenarios. Yeah, so I think <clears throat> I'm sort of like Gary, like 15 years, he's 15 years ahead of me or 20 years ahead of me. And um, <laughs> I think that you have to. <laughs> Gary's old. Gary's easy, old. easy, Dave. I'm 43, buddy. All right. I'm not that old. I'm 15 years old. <laughs> all right. We'll give you 10, Gary. Okay, there we go. Um, I just think you have to keep the big picture in mind. And I talked to my wife about this. And you just have to not always focus on the next hurdle, the next test, the next surgery. You know, you have to be willing to set some boundaries you know, what are you willing to give up and not give up? Are you willing to give up your weekends? Are you willing to take call 30 days out of the month? And I, th I think if you set some hard, fast rules um, and stick to them, you can make balance for your life. Yeah. My dad was a really busy CFO and I never saw him. And so I just sort of promised my wife I wouldn't be like that. And it's worked out so well. Yeah, I like that. I feel you, I feel you on that one. Well, let's move into our different scenarios here. Um, so, um, Allison started us, start us off by kind of extending this conversation a bit, um, uh, with these questions here. We're gonna, I want you to kind of go through them and just kind of, uh, uh, speak to us about what comes to mind whenever you read these. A lot of these were sent by our young MD connect, uh, um, uh, colleagues who are, who are listening on, on tonight's uh, live show. All right. So, yeah, I think the first one, what is the value of making time for yourself outside of clinic? I think it's invaluable really because taking care of yourself in a holistic way is, is just going to make you perform better everywhere. 
Um, so I really strive to have a full life outside of clinic where I am in my life and my family situation right now, I have three little kids. So they require a lot of hands-on attention. My oldest is three and a half. I have an almost two-year-old and a one month old. So, um, so like, that's my thing that I'm doing right now. Um, so that does take a lot out of me. Obviously I'm on maternity leave right now, so I'm not currently like in the clinic, but, um, you know, I am somebody who values my time outside of work and when your kids are little, they go to bed early. So, you know, right now I want to be home by five every day so I can have that couple of hours where we're hanging out and eating dinner as a family and, you know, doing the bedtime routine and stuff. Um, so I think one thing that my husband and I, who he's also a physician, he's an orthopedic surgeon, um, and we have really placed an important value in our family on eating dinner at the table together every night. So our kids know the routine and, and I usually cook. Um, so I'm not a baker, which is kind of funny the way Shani was describing that. Cause I, I don't like baking cause I hate having to measure everything. I like to just throw stuff in and, you know, see what I come up with and I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But so dinner time is really our like main family time every night. And we try not to have any devices. We don't have the TV on or anything. We can all just like talk and catch up with each other. So, um, that kind of fills my cup every night when I get home from work. Um, so as far as what defines me outside of clinic, I would say a huge thing right now is being a mom and raising my kids and, you know, navigating being a young physician and surgeon and, um, pregnancy and maternity leave. And I've gone through that three times now, um, within just a few years and, you know, so the first time was while I was a senior resident. And so that whole experience looked quite a bit different than it does now that I'm an attending as far as um, just how I was able to manage the pregnancy and how much time I was able to take off for maternity leave and things like that. So um, that's something that I think I've connected with a lot of people really through social media um, about how, how that all happens, but, um, and then kind of getting into being active on social media and the challenges that that might present. Um, it does, it does present some challenges. Um, one of which being sort of just deciding how much of my life I want to share, uh, at the heart of it, I'm kind of a private person. I don't want to make my children, um, products or something that I'm selling out for, more likes or something like that, but I do enjoy sharing them. And I think that's, again, something that I can connect with so many people um, in medical training and beyond about being a young mom and, and raising kids and working and all that stuff. So I do try to find that balance of um, sharing some of my life, but not all of their life. And, um, and there's safety concerns with things like that, of course. So uh, so it is something that you're always trying to figure out what's the best way to approach something and how can my experience help somebody else. Uh, and so I think one of, again, the probably top topics that I talk to people about on social media and that I get um, private messages about and things like that is, you know, how did you tell your program director that you were pregnant as a resident or how did you manage maternity leave as a resident or how did you make time for this or that? And, um, 
all that kind of stuff I think is so universal, but there aren't really any formal resources for it. So it's been a valuable um, place for me to be, I think, on social media. And, and, and you just said that you just had your third kiddo. Is that right? Yeah. See, like my wife has three kids too. And I'm sorry, like that's so incredible to me that you're doing what you're doing. Like, do you, ever you. Just, do you ever just roll your eyes whenever a guy like uh, complains about work-life balance when you do? I mean, I do? did mention that I have a husband. So, yeah. <laughs> so yes, uh, when he says that he's tired or anything, I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I, I'll never forget my wife had her first, uh, our first kiddo. We woke up the next day and um, the first thing I said, I slept in the hospital, obviously. And the first thing I said the next morning, because uh, they had me sleeping on one of those chairs, like, man, these chairs are so uncomfortable. And she mm-hmm. gave me the worst, worst <laughs> death stare ever. And I was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. But it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that even as a mom of three, that you can be so active um, in contributing to the field. Uh, that's Thank amazing. You. So, hey, Blake. Uh, yeah, yeah, what's Blake, up? I feel like the guys, we should just uh, sign off now at this point. Totally. I don't feel like we have anything to contribute to the work-life balance conversation. <gasps> I mean it. I'm not, I mean it. You know? I'm serious. I, I cannot... It's just a, it's like minor league versus like major. We're like dub, we're like single A and they're playing like major league baseball. Like, what are we going to, this is ridiculous. But to be fair, women have been doing that forever, just totally outperforming. And I'm not just saying that as a puff, whatever. It's just the truth. All right, moving on to the next scenario. So, who else? So, we have is is, uh, David going next? David, what you got, man? So, talk about, talk about nurturing your personal passion. Sure. Um, so I think most of you guys followed me throughout residency on Instagram. And then I kind of stopped for a while. Um, we were switching jobs and moving and things were just kind of up in the air. And I felt like, man, I just need to take a break and just focus on what's most important. And I really got like way deeper into my hobbies. Um, I kind of have hobby ADD. And I think a lot of ophthalmologists do. We kind of want to keep our hands in a lot of different areas. Um, and for me, it's just super important. I've got to do something outside of work to sort of unwind and move past the day. You know, if you had a busy surgery day and maybe didn't get through everything like you wanted to, it's great just to come home and put it aside. And so <clears throat> I think this is a good advice for anybody that's looking to um, sign a contract or look at their first job is try and figure out where you're going to live and where you're going to be happy. And for us, that was a major decision. And so um, we live in the mountains and I love it. I love being able to snowboard. I love being able to ski and I love being able to mountain bike and run and hike. And, and so for us, you know, after work, I'll come home, we'll load up the kids and we'll go do something. Um, and for me, that's just, that helps me reset. Um, so how does this time fuel the quality of your care? Um, I've noticed, and especially in residency when I was taking Q3 call and not doing anything on the side, um, it, it all starts to blend together. And I don't think you can take care of patients as well as you'd like to. Um, if you go home, rest a while, recharge, you can come back and um, put more effort into your patients and they appreciate it. I also notice that when I talk to patients in clinic, I like to ask them what their hobbies are. I like to try and mix, you know, my personality with theirs and try and talk to them about what, you know, what excites them, what gets them going. It also really helps me pick out what lens to put in their eye. Um, Do I have any advice about how to structure your schedule? Yes. So when I started PGY2, we had four kids under four. And Allison, I just need to give you props that your house is quiet. Like there's no way I could be (laughs) right now um, talking on a podcast. 
Um, and so for us, you know, having four under four, it was just always a juggle. And I always made a point to come home and tell the kids a story, whether or not I was on call, off call, seeing patients, always tried to come home and tell the kids a bedtime story, snuggle with them at night and um, talk to my wife. And I feel like if you just set some boundaries and just some basic stuff, you don't have to, you know, commit to much, but a little time every day with kids, wife, family, um, you're going to feel those effects long-term. And, you know, we always tend to look at just the next test or the next week or the next surgery day. Um, but I think physicians in general are short-sighted and looking at the longer picture, you know, keeping your family around, having good relationships, um, staying in contact with friends. Um, I'll be honest, I lost some friends during residency just because I stopped talking. I stopped reaching out. And I'm now finding that as I'm out of my first year in practice, I want those friendships back. And, um, and so, you know, nurturing your, your relationships is huge. Um, and then finally taking some time out for yourself. I try and wake up early and run. And for me, that's just a, a way to reset as well. So those are my tips. I love the comment that you said about having a conversation um, with every patient, um, just about something that's not related to their chart or to their lens or to anything else. Like you mentioned hobbies. That's so big. Like the first thing I do when I talk to every single patient is I'll say, how are you? And they start talking about their vision and I immediately stop them. And I say, no, no, how are you? What's going on? How's life? How's your kiddos? How's your grandkids? What's up? And just those two minutes uh, for me, almost it just makes the day go by so much quicker and it kind of brings a little bit of life into the workday. You know, what do you think, Gary? I mean, just the opportunity to just chat your patients up about things outside of ophthalmology just makes it feel more like we're having a cup of coffee, not necessarily in clinic, you know? Yeah, I'm going to take a different tact on that, actually. Um, it's rare that we disagree, but I like it when we can t look at two sides of the same coin. I find that patients can take as much from you as you're willing to give them in some cases. Um, and I kind of learned as a protection mechanism early on that I tried to keep some of my private stuff a little bit more private. And I also don't talk a whole lot about what's going on at work when I'm at home. I think, I don't know if that's actually a good thing or a bad thing. You could probably make the case that it's better to, to integrate your work with your home and your home with your work. But I have found that it's easier for me to deal with work inside of the box of work. And I just sort of, I deal with that as, as a very specific category in my life. And then when I'm not at work, I'm not thinking about work and I kind of try to leave it there. And I, and so for, for me, I'm more, I am a little bit more protective of my true self when I'm with my, when I'm at work and with my patients probably because I have had so many patients who I've just bled for and have been so invested in their care. And so I've cared so much about them that it has driven me almost crazy. Um, and so I think I learned as a protection mechanism that at some level, you have to have boundaries with your patients. And I, I've, and that's not how I used to be. That's not how I naturally, naturally, you can probably tell, I like to connect with people. I love knowing what makes people tick and what, what excites you, what's your passion. But I found that I have to be a little bit careful around patients. 
I think that's a good point. I mean, I think that I actually feel the same way. I was really referring to not giving them my personal information, but just asking about them and their life. And now, they're, that, usually, they're, that usually I, willing to, they're usually willing yes. to, to, to open up and talk about that. So that's how I start every visit. I don't talk about myself or my personal family. Yes. I'm asking them about their life and it just takes them off guard. They're just so off guard that a doctor would ask them, you know, how their grandkids are doing or we always make notes in the chart. Um, where, you know, uh, they, they remind me of a grandchild's name or they remind me of, you know, uh, a, a vacation that they went on. Hey, didn't you guys go to wine country, you know, last time you were talking about going to wine country? Just like, so I have a, we have a notepad in every patient's chart and my team is, it knows to write down something uh, that I can that I talk about because I don't remember these patients at all. Obviously, like you guys, you, you, you can't remember everybody. So, right. so it, it's so important um, just to connect with them. Um, I 100% agree with that. And I think making them the star of their show, you know, you're just the guide, you know, they're, they are the hero on their own journey. You know, you are the guide to help take them from where they are, which is a scary place to a place where they are happy living their life and free in, in a ophthalmic visual standpoint. So I always want to make them the center. I want to make them the star of the show and figure out how I can help them. So definitely. Shani, we're going to go to the next scenario here, which I think uh, you're going to lead us to about talking about making time for family. Um, David and Allison have already kind of alluded to this, but tell us about how you do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I just have to say props to you guys who have more than two kids. I have two kids, one's four and one's almost two. And sometimes it feels like I have four children. So um, just, just amazed by you guys. Um, so yeah, family, making time for family, family. I mean, when I think about my hobbies, it might sound weird, but I love spending time with my family. Um, and, and just like Allison alluded to it, it can be really tough because, uh, you know, you have young kids. Um, I have a husband who's also a physician. Um, and so how do we, how do we make it work? And, um, you know, I guess going to the first question here, navigating maternity leave. Um, as an ophthalmology resident and attending. So I had my first uh, child, she's now four. I had her uh, as a senior resident. Um, so, you know, senior year of ophthalmology, you're looking forward to learning how to operate. Um, and so I was pregnant early in my uh, senior year. And so I was just learning how to operate at that time. You're really nervous and anxious. And on top of that, I had really bad first trimester nausea. Um, and so the way I kind of approached that was I just, um, most of us kind of wait until our, the end of our first trimester to tell people that we're pregnant. Um, I actually ended up telling the attendings that I worked closely with, I was about eight or nine weeks, um, when I started operating and I let them know, you know, um, how I was feeling, what was going on. Um, I was a little, um, you know, fearful about their reactions and that was just all in my head. Um, they were very um, excited and um, very helpful. And I think that's the nice part about ophthalmology in general. Most folks that I've met in ophthalmology are family friendly. Um, I think there's a certain quality that attracts us all to, to our field. Um, so um, just kind of getting that off my plate as a senior resident, letting my attendings know, um, you know, that sometimes I might be feeling kind of sick and things like that. I never ended up having issues um, while learning to operate and being nauseous. And we can talk about more tips on that if anyone has questions. 
Um, and then I was also feeling kind of guilty to tell my co-residents because, you know, as a resident, you take call and as a senior resident, um, you know, you take buddy call or everybody's program is a little different, um, but you don't want to be the person that doesn't carry your weight or, you know, do your uh, responsibilities as a resident. Um, so again, everybody's residency program is a little different and nobody really spells it out for you. Nobody really tells you, even when you um, sign for a job, this is, you know, um, maybe there are places and I think that might be changing, but you don't really hear about, hey, this is our maternity leave. This is what um, to expect. Um, and so at our residency program, uh, we had a great support system in that um, for any call you missed when you were on like sick leave, um, your residents were compensated for taking that call for you. Um, so, you know, that kind of eased the burden of telling my co-residents and my program. As an attending, like Allison mentioned too, it's a totally different ball game. A lot of uh, things are more within your control. Um, but I do have to say I was the first uh, female surgeon in my practice to go on maternity leave. So when I told them, um, you know, I was pregnant, they were really excited. Um, and then, you know, I was like, okay, so how does maternity leave work? And they're like, you know what, well, let's have, we'll get back to you on that. We'll have a conversation about that. Um, so, you know, I think our, our generation is kind of paving the way uh, for future generations on uh, making more um, visible maternity leave policies. Um, and so how do you keep the momentum in your training and especially when you're in attending? Um, so as a resident, again, you're learning how to, you, you don't wanna miss cases. You wanna see everything you can, do everything you can. Um, and so fortunately I was in a really high volume residency program. Um, so I met all my numbers and surpassed them and I still felt you know, comfortable uh, operating uh, when I graduated. And then as an attending, um, you don't have anybody to cover your clinics. You kind of have to figure out, you know, how are you gonna get your, your patients covered? Who's gonna take care of your patients? Um, I'm a retina specialist and I'm the only retina specialist in my multi-specialty group. Um, so I kind of actually decided to come in once a month during my maternity leave to do injections for my typical injection patients. You know, I'd established a relationship with them. Um, and I kind of liked being able to come back into work a little bit during maternity leave, um, just a, a break uh, from being at home all day and breastfeeding. Um, so, you know, as a resident, it's actually kind of nice because you have other residents to help cover your clinic and, um, you know, you, the patients themselves aren't, aren't yours. Um, and then experiences and in, in coming back um, challenges, I would say a lot of challenges with learning how, where to pump, when to pump, um, breastfeed. Um, surprisingly, you learn to uh, survive on very little sleep. You learn how much you can do with very little sleep. And when you get like four to five hours of sleep, you're like, wow, I feel amazing. Um, so those are some challenges that we can talk a little bit more about in the breakout rooms if anybody has questions. And then um, any advice on the, you know, the ideal time to start a family? Um, this might sound cliche, but there really is no ideal time. I think we can all attest to that. We've all had kids at different stages in training and as an attending, and you just find the time that, that works for you. If you wanna start a family, I'm sure there's folks that have started a family when you've wanted to start a family, whether you're a resident, fellow, or attending. Certainly there's different kind of um, uh, pros and cons or constraints to each stage, but you make it work. Um, you, you do have to make yourself a priority as well. And in, in medicine, we kind of 
uh, have this mentality, kind of put our heads down and, and get through the work. And um, like Dave mentioned, kind of the next test, the next board exam, the next level of training. Um, so life, your, your career will keep going on. Um, so you really do want to also think about yourselves and, and when you want to start your family and, and you can do it. That's a wonderful perspective. And, you know, I'm just thinking about uh, my wife in terms about when to, when to have kids, when's the best time to have kids. And she would say, don't have Irish twins. Cause we did. And to have two kiddos in diapers that can't speak uh, is very, very difficult. <laughs> David completely uh, disregarded that with having four kids under four. Uh, <laughs> it just kept uh, coming. We couldn't figure out why. Yeah, that, that would be my advice. Hey, I want to I want to uh, acknowledge uh, our friend and, and, and colleague, uh, Dr. Netta Shami, who just hopped on to say hello from Los Angeles. Hey, Netta. Hey, if you would unmute yourself, I just want to ask you a quick question. This is all about work life balance. And what I've learned so far is it's deeply personal. Firstly, there's not necessarily a right answer, but basically there's two domains. There's work and there's private and you have to give different levels of attention and investment to both. Um, how, how do you sort of define it and how do you make it all work where, you know, you're, you're with your family and you're having fun, but you're also loving what you do? Yeah. Hi, everyone. First of all, I'm so happy, happy to be here. This is such a fantastic forum. And um, honestly, I, I wish that I had this kind of uh, platform to bounce ideas off of each other uh, when I was at, at the stage that you all are talking about starting families and such. And I can talk lots and lots about how our experience was and how uh, it's changing and continues to change. And hopefully this becomes more and more a topic of conversation and, and one that um, men and women can share in, in the challenges and the triumphs of, of getting over it. But uh, Blake, what you were saying, you know, I think initially in my career, I very much separated the two. And, um, and it was kind of the, the generation that I came from where you separate your family from your work. And you, when you're at work, you're at work. And when you're you know, with family or family and with family. And, and the more I have um, matured in my career and the more I have allowed the two to mesh together, the more I have enjoyed both. And I have to say that, um, you know, I love having my family be part of my, my career and my career be part of my family. And we talk, my husband's also a physician. We talk medicine at, at our dinner tables. And, and I know you, you too, Blake, have, uh, you know, medicine talk all the time. And and I don't separate the two in my mind. And uh, my kids know my, you know, my staff, they come to the office, they drop by, have their lunch, uh, you know, during the summer and hang out there. And then, uh, and then I have my staff who come and join us uh, during our family uh, gatherings and such. So, so I want to say that I think what's important is to hopefully get to a point where you can have them intertwine uh, in a way that it really is fluid between the two. And, and that way, when you're having fun, it doesn't really, you don't really separate in your mind. Is this my work that I'm having fun with or home? And that's kind of how it's worked out for me. I was sort of born into an ophthalmology family. So I'm, I'm sort of conditioned that they're, you know, my whole family is in my business. They're all doctors or nurses or administrators in my practice. So it was, it was intertwined from day one. So maybe that's why I'm conditioned. And that's why I say it's deeply personal. The only thing that I'd tell you that, 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 that was meaningful for me and what work-life balance I think means to me is that, you know, getting to a place where when I'm working, I never have like FOMO about something I'm missing out on. And then when I'm out having fun in life, I'm never feeling guilty about not working. And it's that simple for me. Like, like, like some weeks I don't do anything fun. I'm working the whole time. Other weeks, like I'm, I'm just like totally slacking off and having a blast. Right. So I think to me, that's where I am. 
when you start out in practice and it, it may be slower than you wish to be eventually, if you're expanding a group or starting out on your own or something for anybody, whether you're comprehensive, send letters back to the optometrist who refer patients to you. If you're a retina specialist as a comprehensive doc, I was saying, I love hearing from my retina partners, like, you know, yeah, that was a peripheral retinal tear or something. And we lasered it and the patient's going to do great. Or um, this is what we decided to do for their diabetic retinopathy or something, or, or maybe there's a condition that I think it might be, but I don't have an FA machine in my office. So I love hearing back when I refer patients to somebody else in my group and, and hearing what they decided to do with the patient. And then as a comprehensive doc, um, I get a lot of referrals from our community optometrists and so one thing that made a huge, huge improvement in the number of consults that I was getting from some of the local ODs who um, had established referral patterns, but anytime I would get a referral for a cataract surgery, um, I would send a handwritten, just a little card. Thanks for sending Mrs. Smith. Uh, we're going to go ahead with cataract surgery on both eyes. I'll keep you posted and then send that off in the mail and very quickly after starting to send that little handwritten note, I, I saw a dramatic increase in my consults from certain doctors. So just remember to communicate with whoever is referring patients to you, I think is a, a fantastic way to grow your practice. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. I want to thank the faculty tonight, uh, Dr. Williamson for hosting, Dr. Early again, and leaving us with those great pearls at the end of the session. Dr. Esperas, thank you. Dr. Felstead, thank you. Um, special shout out to Dr. Shami who joined tonight. Thank you for taking the time in your evening to join us here. And of course, thank you to our members, uh, all of you for joining tonight's workshop and talking a little bit about ophthalmology again, or uh, about life, excuse me, outside of ophthalmology and how to balance it all. Uh, we're always here for you. If you ever have questions, if you ever want us to connect you um, with anyone, we're here. If you want to talk about ophthalmology or topics outside of it, of course, we we fully support and appreciate that conversation about how to do it all. So with that, we wanna give back the rest of your evenings. We hope you found tonight to be helpful and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive. And thank you to our panelists, Drs. Esperes, Early, Felstead, Shammy, Wirtz, and Williamson for this insightful discussion.